Research shows that 70% of all marketing content remains unused by sales. If you're a marketer, this statistic is sure to make you squirm. And if you're in sales, you're probably nodding your head and saying, that's just about right. There are innumerable examples of sales and marketing activities that don't align. Such misalignments are often at the core of many broken organizations. So how do we bridge the gap and make these two strategic activities to focus on a common goal? Let's hear what the experts say. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we aim to expose the day-to-day misalignments between product marketing and sales activities and discuss practical solutions to end this long-lasting paradigm. Our guest today is Jennifer Robinson. She's a sales and marketing alignment enthusiast with over 20 years of hands-on experience in sales enablement. In her current role at VM Software, Jennifer leads global sales messaging and engagement and converts complex technical information into easy-to-understand positioning that helps sales in street-level customer conversations. When I first spoke with Jennifer, I felt an instant connection. We both share a passion for aligning sales and marketing. In our conversation today, we will dig deeper into some of the alignment challenges of B2B technology companies and share with you some useful tips with real-world examples of what works and what doesn't. Jennifer, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Well, so a bit of an introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my current role right now is the Senior Manager of Sales Engagement. I have a long history in, in sales and marketing, I actually started out in sales and then quickly transitioned into kind of a joint sales and marketing role for a number of years. And that was in a non-tech area. My entrance into the the tech vertical came about 15 years ago. And when I made that transition, I actually made the transition into tactical competitive intelligence, which seems like a leap, but um, all these things uh, are, are congruent, I promise. So I I went into competitive intelligence and that's where I got a real passion for understanding the street level fight that our salespeople are going through every day and the, the content that they need and the content that assists in the conversations that they're having with customers. So it's not just a one off that they're emailing to maybe you know, keep the customer busy for a little bit. It's it's what is actually getting the customer from point A to point B in their selling motion. That made me really want to learn more. So I, I dug into a lot of different research and um, took as many classes and, and whatever I could find, read as much stuff as I could find about sales alignment, sales messaging. And, um, and that propelled my career into the sales alignment piece. I had a sales alignment team um, within product marketing. Um, and now at the company I, I'm at now into sales engagement and tying that in with sales enablement and training and how do we leverage all of those things together to align sales and marketing that's amazing yeah no definitely this is this is um, you know very interesting when you say you know competitive tactical competitive intelligence i think that's tactical is a key word here and mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I love the way you put it in terms of street level fight. It is actually that. And uh, we don't realize um, when you're you know, sitting behind your desk and, and creating content based on, you know, what we think the customer would need and, and that what we think would they would need could be, you know, based on our own opinions or mm. based on some sort of market research or surveys. But at the end of the day, you know, it's just like saying until you get in the water, you don't know how to swim. And um, yeah. and it's it's just those, you know, daily conversations with customers and pushbacks and, you know, how do you deal with the situation at hand is what really matters in terms of whether your messaging is correct or not. And it's actually brings me to an interesting point, right? So I was just um, writing on messaging framework. And and when I was working on that, it's like, okay, this is the foundation of everything that a company needs to do. And unless, and I, in my experience, most companies struggle in that, you know, handling those street level conversations are because they haven't really thought through what they stand for and yeah. how do they how do they deal with you know what problem are they solving a lot of times they ride on you know the current market trends and they just talk about their content is, is just touching upon that whereas if you know what problems you're solving and you can defend and you have enough justifications a lot of a lot of that street fighting you know is it can be handled but of course you know you just this is an emerging and evolving process and you just need to keep riding on it you you mentioned that you had a sales alignment team, which is very interesting as well. I started to see more and more B2B companies have started to add a dedicated sales enablement role now. And you've been oh, playing yeah. that role for many years. So how do you define that role and uh, who owns sales enablement? And, and <laughs> what are the main challenges of implementing any enablement strategy? That is a loaded question. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're seeing a lot more focus and attention on sales enablement. And the the part that I find interesting and frustrating at the same time is that there's many different definitions on what sales enablement is um, and where it sits. I've seen it sit under marketing. I've seen it under sales. I've seen it under HR. And, and each one of those areas are going to give it a little bit of a different flavor. I've also seen it, um, you know, as a separate entity, you know, as completely separate reporting up to the CEO. So that gives it a little different flavor. and, And it also changes the definition of what sales enablement is. In many areas, what I see is they're defining sales enablement as sales training and those being equivalent. However, when when I ran the sales alignment team and what I think the direction that things are going and what we really need to start focusing on is that it's bigger than that. Because to be successful, you have to be able to take sales, product marketing, the sales methodology, and the sales training and have all of those different functions working together to produce content, to produce tools, to produce job aids, to produce training, to produce marketing materials. All all of those things need to be aligned for all of this to work and be embedded and ingrained in the company culture, which is a huge task. And of course, you know, it, it takes a lot of 
a lot of steps and a lot of buy-in from the top down to get that accomplished. Yes, you are absolutely right. Most people think sales enablement is same as sales training, which is unfortunate. I, I have experienced that firsthand in my career as well. And mm. whereas, you know, sales enablement to me really means it's a day-to-day -day activity for anyone to understand what is happening in the pipeline and yeah. where do we need to pay more attention collectively between sales, product, and marketing to move that needle. And it's, it's that collective effort who is, who is tracking that uh, because ev no matter how many meetings you have, right, you can, you can meet every day, but at the end of the day, somebody needs to own it. We all go, we talk about pipelines, we next day we are on to our own meetings and, and deliverables and the, the, the focus get lost. I think that's where that's where I believe the challenge is, and that's where exactly you are saying as well. Now, another thing which I also noticed, and I want to take your opinion on it, is a lot of effort between product marketing and sales goes into you know whether you how you're training your sales, how you're establishing thought leadership and credibility in the market, brand awareness, PRs, uh, maybe even sales presentations that you need to deliver. Two aspects that touch customers the most are. I've rarely seen any salesperson spend time on it or even the product marketing people spend time on it that are customer training and customer support. Mm -hmm. And these are two areas where customers are having not just one-time pre-sales dialogue, but they're having a post-sales dialogue. And a lot of time, in my observation, the sales training the customer training content is not aligned with how you're training your sales. Your customer training content is not aligned with what you're saying in the market. Any thoughts? Yes, that that, that is a, a fantastic, fantastic question. Um, and that comes back to the alignment piece. And, and you're right that we have one-off meetings and then everybody goes back to their job. And this is my own personal opinion. Um, some people might might uh, not not appreciate this, but I think that the alignment role is a separate role. And I think it's that is the job that or or team, because it's a big job when you start getting down into the weeds of it, it's a big job. And that team is there to work with all the other teams to make sure that all of these things are aligned. And to your point, not just going, uh, you know, not just the, the materials that create the customer buying cycle, where, we're, where we have those customer touch points, but also after the sale and through the sale and after the sale and through support, and in fact, uh, one of the initiatives that I took on about a year ago was to improve the messaging and enablement around our product launches for the company I work at now. And we started with an enablement team. And that included somebody representing every single audience that we need to touch. So we had somebody from support there. We had somebody from distribution from the reseller group, from our, our cloud group, from our training customer training group. So every audience that you can think of that needs to be informed of something happening was on this call. 
and we would do a weekly check-in leading up to this launch and and make sure that we're all aligned on what are we saying how are we pushing this product out and we did the first pilot of this new format last year and and it was a, a huge success you know the numbers were great on adoption of the of the new version now, whether that has to do completely with the uh, the enablement activities, I'm not going to take full credit for that. It was a great product. But I think having everybody singing out of the same hymn book creates that consistency of a message and that consistency of just the feeling of the company for the customer, which is huge because as, as we all know, customers buy, you know, decision-making is not a logical thing. And sometimes those perceptions of I'm talking to one company, I'm hearing from one company. These aren't separate companies before the sale and after the sale. It's not different companies while I'm talking to this person and while I'm talking to that person. It it brings everything together for the customer. That's true. And that I I really applaud you on, on taking that initiative. That by itself is a huge step in having different departments, different constituencies within the company to get on the same call. I don't know how you did that, but <laughs> <laughs> so that, that by itself is a huge step in my view. Now, based on, you know, what you've seen prior to that and, you know, after you took that initiative, can you share some examples of, you know, misalignments that you observed happen on a everyday basis and they generally go unnoticed? Would love to hear some examples and if you if any of your initiatives like these have actually resolved them. Yeah, I think, you know, when we're talking specifically about sales and marketing, um, there's two things that that jump out at me. One is and you mentioned it before, most marketing material doesn't get used by sales. And if you ask marketing who they're creating the material for, they're usually going to say sales and the cognitive dissonance <laughs> that it takes to continue to create the same materials knowing that people aren't using them um, is something that has fascinated me for 15 years. But is that hamster wheel, that running on that hamster wheel that, you know, I mean, we've talked before about how much product marketing has to do and how many hats they have to wear and how many things they have to know and and they're just running as fast as they can and marketing materials a lot of times then get you know this is the way we've done it we're going to push it out sales can pick it up and use it it is now a sales tool that is a basic fundamental misalignment right there to me mm-hmm. because again if you're expecting salespeople to use this material we know the reality is they're not So we have marketing spending a lot of time on materials that aren't being used. And we have salespeople spending a lot of time creating marketing materials. So in both areas, we have people being, you know, inefficiencies and um, spending time on on things that don't need to to have time spent on them. Something that I did in a previous role was and, and something that I really encourage is to have a sales advisory board, um, just like you have maybe a partner advisory board or a customer advisory board 
is to to have that group of salespeople that you can have this conversation with. And the second part of that is to think through each of those marketing materials and do an audit of your marketing materials and be able to go through and say, if every marketing material, every piece of marketing material, every asset had a job, what would that job be? Mm -hmm. If it was to take a customer from point A to point B, what does that look like? What is point A? What is point B? And I have asked that question more times than I can count. And I have almost never gotten an answer (laughs) (laughs) because they don't know. They don't know. Well, it just can be used whenever that that's not a good enough answer because the point of creating an asset is to make a change on the buyer's behavior. Why else would we be creating an asset? So if you're not doing anything for the buyer, you're not doing anything to move the sales process forward. Why is that asset being created? And and the flip side is what are those things that salespeople are creating that they feel is stronger than the marketing material that's created. So uh, many times I'll do a call out to, to my sales groups to say, send me what you're creating. I want to see it. I want to see how it's different than what marketing materials are going on and doing uh, again, an additional audit there. That's a, that's a very uh, important topic. And I think this is one of those areas that has persisted forever and Mm -hmm. uh, just continues to not get resolved in my view. And I'm glad, you know, you, you're taking steps and I think some of your suggestions here, you know, have a sales advisory board and audit your marketing content and you're absolutely right. Every asset needs to do a job, move the needle from point A to point B in some capacity. And the way I always, very similar way of, you know, saying it is I always think, you know, think about your marketing content as products on the shelf and what, what role are they playing? And mm-hmm. you need to, before you write a new content, go back and see, okay, are we, am I already saying it? And I'm sure a lot of people can associate with this is when we all complain as product marketing. I've been in the product marketing role forever. I actually, just like yourself, been fortunate to be on the sales side as well. So I can understand their perspective. And uh, very quickly, the situation changed, right? You change the title of a person and all of a sudden they're their perspective on marketing will change. It doesn't matter how many how many years they have they have spent in marketing. And and when I did that, I'm like, okay, what? I I made the same mistake that I always complain about. Absolutely, is, and I've seen it a hundred times. Yeah, and I would go on a customer call and I would send an email to my product expert saying, "Hey, can you send me this?" And I'm like, "Didn't you get my email?" Uh, we circulate emails on latest content. Here's a common, you know, SharePoint folder or whatever XML shared folder where everything is posted. Go look for yourself. And we're constantly communicating. Why aren't you listening? And when I spend more time with sales, my realization is they're so fast moving. You know, they have hundred accounts to to deal with, and they're very reactionary in their approach towards accessing content. They only look for content when it is relevant to their deal they're working on and a lot of times the the amount of insight they get in that customer account while talking to them does not match to what the content is saying 
So, right. and and I think that's the reason I I feel a lot of times salespeople just take what you have and and start modifying it. It's not that they don't hundred put they they don't use the content hundred percent. In my experience, they'll take it, they'll personalize it, and everyone has their own style of you know saying of telling a story. So. Some some salespeople are good at it. Some salespeople just take what they have and then they'll just verbally articulate their story. That that gave me a realization is I actually stopped making canned presentations for salespeople after that. I was like, okay, there is no way you're going to use this. So we started building library of, mm-hmm. of slides. Okay, if you're talking about a topic like security, here are 10 ways we have done it. And every time I see a new way of telling a story, I'll I'll include that slide in that library. So if it matches your style, great, use it as is. If it doesn't, modify and give us back that slide and we'll add, add to the library. And that actually helped quite a bit. And it became bigger and bigger, 100 plus, 200 plus slide deck, but they all looked for that one. That was the only asset that salespeople would carry with them all the time. There was no other one. So it's it's interesting to you know understand the perspective of the salespeople as well. And I'm sure you know you've been in sales and you've you've experienced that as well yourself. One thing which perplexed me, and I work with a lot of clients, and every time we work on sales enablement, it's this one question that perplexes most of the people is how do you measure the success of your sales enablement efforts. And I want to ask you that question. How do you measure and what's your what's your thoughts on that? So that is an interesting question um, and, and a hot topic, I think, um, because you have, you know, your, your levels of measurement, your levels of success that you can, you can try to track down we've been trying to get creative with this. Um, So you have your obvious, how many people have attended a training, how many downloads does a document have, you know, all of those things. What is the um, length of time somebody stays on a call or watches a recording? Those are pretty standard. But then you get into the, the more complex measurements and then we're talking about maybe a confidence index. So what was the confidence in a certain area before you took this training or used this asset? What was your confidence after? Um, where's the white space in knowledge? So measure the white space by using a pre-test and a post-test. So what is the, the gap in knowledge before? Now let's take this training or use this asset and do a gap measurement after to see if we've if we filled that. And then of course you have the financial measurement, which that's where you get really tricky because can we directly associate enablement in any of its forms to revenue, to deals one, to size of deals, any of any of those monetary measurements. One thing that I did when I was in competitive intelligence was get a little bit creative with how we were measuring success, revenue success. Tactical competitive intelligence is a very hands-on role. So you're literally walking somebody through closing a deal many times when you're in that competitive bake-off. So what we did is do a survey, a phone survey, with you know a, a large portion of people 
that we know uh, we had people that had utilized the competitive intelligence uh, team to assist in their deals. And then we had the people that didn't. And what we did was do a phone survey and ask questions about if they were to put a percentage on the amount of help that contacting the CI team gave them in influence in closing their deals, what would it be? And while that is a very long, tedious process, going in and calling, you know, 100 sales reps, <laughs> um, it is definitely a, takes a lot of time and effort. But what we got back was was really interesting in some of the comments. You know, we also logged the comments. Luckily, we had a research team in house, which made life a lot easier for this particular effort. And, and what qualitative information were they giving back to us? So we were able to get an average of that percentage of all the people that had used the resources that competitive intelligence team had given them. We could say they told us that it influenced their deal closing by 30%. Mm. And if we took that deal closing number and took 30% of it, that was the direct revenue association that we could apply to the CI team existing. So it's, it's tricky, but the same thing could be done for enablement. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's tough to get such answers from salespeople though. It is because they don't want to, because they're doing yeah. the work. I mean, they're going out and they're doing the work, no doubt. But I've also found that if you are a strong advocate and you are giving them a service or a, a material that they really feel can help them, that they will be much more inclined to want to give you attribution for that. And, and that's a process of making yourself known to the salespeople, um, you know, making them understand that you're the one you're in their court, that you're their advocate, that you're their champion and and giving them good stuff, giving them good training, giving them good materials, good assets, good, good job aids, et cetera. And and it, this is slightly off topic, but when we're talking about sales materials, you had mentioned, you know, put, getting things in front of them, you know, at the right time. And of course, salespeople are just in time learners. Um, one thing I also found was interesting, though, if they find a piece that they that really helps them move a customer from point A to point B, they will hold on to it forever. <laughs> I have had salespeople come to me with with content that they had from six, eight years ago that had like completely wrong branding and, you know, the messaging wasn't even correct. It was for a product release that was, you know, 10 releases ago, but it worked and they wouldn't let it go. They would like, you know, hold on to that thing for dear life. So when you do produce something that works for them, they will advocate for it. Yeah, no, the, the, you, you, you touched upon a very important topic, which is something, you know, I had to fight for within, you know, one of the companies I used to work for in the past is, you know, we had almost 200 plus, 250 plus salespeople in the company. And I would say the amount of time we're spending in marketing 
and the amount of spend time we're spending in sales enablement you know the ratio is just off and i always viewed sales as you know the greatest influencers of any message and if they really believe in that you know it will do wonders and mm. you just it's just you know you have to get them to believe in it and they're very practical they're very you know always thinking from a perspective of how would a customer react to this would this help me make a, make a sale if it did this help me sell anything how will i take the next conversation once i say something like this that's that's what they are always thinking about but if once once it works for them it's it's basically you have to tell them stop using it yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no that's great great conversation um jennifer anything last word of wisdoms like you can tell to the audience themselves hey these are the three things you know just add that to your list you must do these i would say do your content audit be ruthless um make sure that that every single piece matches up with a customer touch point and does and moves the customer from point a to point b in some way when you create a sales advisory council assuming that you are um make sure that that is run by a third party or a uh, somebody who is not invested in the materials that you're going to be reviewing in the sales advisory council and the reason i say that is because it's really easy to go down the road of asking the questions in a way that's going to get you a positive answer and sales people don't like to hurt people's feelings either just like any of us we don't want to tell the person that spent 20 hours creating something that you're not going to use it so you have to ask the right questions to be able to get underneath the real answer and a lot of times that is okay when have you specifically used this or when specifically would you use this with a customer and what uh result do you expect And then the the third thing that I would say is give some thought to how do you make some of this alignment institutionalized and what does that mean to your company you know depending on the size of the company and and how you're set up it could be easier or it could be hard but how do you make alignment an institutionalized effort and be able to bring all of these groups together to be on the same page and sing out of the same hymn book so to speak and what steps does that take and how much buy in do you have from the executive team all the way down where you can say we're not just saying that we're aligned with sales but marketing is at every QBR we we are doing group meetings we're doing advisory councils we are interfacing constantly with all the different stakeholders for all the different audiences you know m- making sure that all of those things are just it's not a one time event it is the way you you work and the way you live and the way you breathe within that company so i'm going to end with that that was a big ask that last one <laughs> it <laughs> is it is absolutely and I'm, i was just smiling because in you know i wrote an article on uh, on alignment the three dimensions of alignment and i ended that article by saying alignment is a culture and it is, it is a culture and uh, it's it's amazing you just said that uh, you know exactly that that it is a culture and and to me in a very simple way you know when you can see misalignment you know it's, you can just see through it in any company and i speak with them within 5 minutes i know they're how, how aligned or misaligned they are 
and a very simple test i'll 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 end up on my note on the on saying this you mentioned qbr such an important word there and mm. a very simple way to see how the company's aligned is walk watch how people are talking in that qbr if they are still arguing with each other's thought in a qbr that means they've not done any alignment exercise prior to that they've not talked to each other they have not you know figured out what the product roadmap needs to be whether it makes sense how sales is going to be selling it how marketing does the marketing actually believe in that roadmap you know where the numbers are and i just as i observe those things is when people are on the who is first of all who is on the table is marketing on the table or not and if they are how across multiple groups they are interfacing and that to me you know just reflects that people just are not talking and are not communicating enough to figure these things out before they come to QBR absolutely 100% agree all right jennifer thanks a lot for your time a lot to take i think some really good useful tips on you know how people can move the needle on this aspect i know it's a it's a difficult problem space but one step at a time thank you very much thank you Great insights Jennifer. Thank you for sharing the details of the steps you have taken to bridge the alignment gaps across all customer touch points and to enable sales to win the street level fights. Creating a corporate culture around alignment certainly builds consistency across the company and sure to reinforce our customers confidence. Thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Alignment podcast on your favorite platform and please share your thoughts on this week's episode. You can reach out to me on my email ashish.jain at kairospulse.com or drop me a note on LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe.